Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, everyone. Can we just take a moment to thank our worship team one more time? Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Well, it's great to be back in our campus. Amen. It's almost as if I haven't seen everybody since last year. Oh, my goodness. I've got some other really old jokes up my sleeve for today's sermon, so just be ready. In case you didn't know, I'm also about to be a dad this month, so I'm practicing my dad jokes. Thank you, guys. So, hey, um, I just want to take a moment and, and thank everyone for allowing us to, um, to pivot into an online format last week. So many of our volunteers and staff members came down with COVID and just really in an abundance of caution, we thought the best move would be to go online. So just want to thank you guys for being understanding and doing that with us. Hey, if you did not receive an email or if you don't have the application, you didn't receive um, a push notification on your phone. I would, I would just invite you to download our COH app. You will always, and turn on notifications. You'll always receive the latest updates. If you did not receive an email, please go to our welcome desk. They can take down your information there. We'll make sure that you get in our system to receive all of our pertinent emails, um, you know, up to date of any updates and whatnot. So, but anyways, moving on. As you all know, December was missions, our Christmas missions offering month, and we were really hoping to raise about $150,000 to help uh, people with food insecurities in our area. And guess how much we raised between all three campuses? Almost just about that, $142,617. Yeah. We are a generous church, and that's such an important quality for a church to have, to give back to its community. So just, just thank you again for giving to that mission to help those people in our, in our, uh, in our community. And so, uh, but anyways, moving with that, I encourage you to take out your Bible, your COH app or your journal, however you do it in this space this morning. And uh, just want to, <laughs> Ed and I have an inside joke. <laughs> I missed all of Ed's really bad jokes when I was online. Actually, no, I didn't miss that. I'm sorry, Ed. <laughs> Love you, man. I love you. Hey, I'm excited to begin a new series with all of you. It's, we're titling it How Life Works. And so beginning this weekend and for the next eight weekends, we're going to be studying the most famous sermon ever preached. And know, know what you're thinking. It's not Pastor Dale's or Trevor's. It is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's actually the longest recorded message that we have that Jesus preached. And to this day, it's probably, it's considered one of the greatest spoken literary pieces to come out of antiquity this day. Now, because we're going to go straight through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says some pretty hard things on this. In, in these uh, three chapters, five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, these three chapters, he says some pretty challenging things. Um, and we're going to we're have to go through them. And it's gonna be it's gonna be hard um, in in some of these cases because it's gonna speak right into our culture, right into our hearts. But it's gonna grow. It's, it's like growing pains. At the end of the day, you grow, and we're gonna grow together. So if something if does something doesn't 
fault right today, you can email me any complaints directly to me at Trevor at Community of Hope dot church. There's another one, one of those old jokes that always works. Anyways, my, my assignment this morning is really to bring you a primer, a tee up on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're, gonna, we're really going to be evaluating the big picture as well as the beginning, but really the big picture of what the Sermon on the Mount is about and what is Jesus trying to accomplish here. Keeping that in mind though, the whole thing really is, he's telling us how life and faith in him is supposed to work. Hence, the title of our series, How Life Works. And so with that, I would, I would encourage you to take out your Bible. The, it's going to be on the screen as well. We're going to go right into Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And I'm going to read from verses 1. And uh, we're going to go from 1 through 16. Okay? Well, Jesus says this, in, starting in Matthew 5 verse 1. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples said to him, and his disciples came to him, I'm sorry, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, he says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sermon that you preached that is recorded so that we might receive some of your instruction for our lives. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive your words? Holy Spirit, would you just fill this place and open our eyes and ears to hear from you? We thank you, and we praise you for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, as we begin our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to begin by, by thinking about Jesus' premise. Like I said, 
He's explaining to his disciples in the entire sermon really how life and faith in him should work. It's supposed to work. And so now most theologians and religious historians who have studied this passage, the Sermon on the Mount, for extended periods of time, they they really come around one big idea, and that is that the Sermon on the Mount represents really the essence of Christian formation and discipleship. If in other words, if you want a picture of what Christianity is supposed to be like, who Christians are supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing in the world, the Sermon on the Mount is your go-to image for that. And so if all the theologians and church historians throughout the, the past two millennia are correct, and I think, I think they are, then I think many of us in the church, and I'm gonna make that a capital C universal church, right? I think many of us in the church, we've got some things a little bit wrong in some areas as it pertains to our life and our faith and what we expect and who we think God is. It reminds me of a time when I was a a soccer coach for elementary age kids. Back in my my early college years, I was, uh, I played soccer. I loved working with kids. So I thought it was a good idea to to become an elementary age coach. uh, soccer coach, and I absolutely, I had a great time. Um, but now, one thing that about kids those age, especially the kindergartners, they're always they're asking you really intrusive questions sometimes to see how cool you are, you know. And so they'd always, and I'm the coach, right? And so they'd come up to me, and they'd try to sort you know sort of validate the the you know or the, my credibility to them as a coach. Like, Coach Jose, did you ever you ever make any goals on your team? I'm like. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to impress a five-year-old. I say, yeah, of course, you know. Of course I made goals on my team. Absolutely. And they, you know, they, that would validate me as their coach, my credibility as a coach in their eyes. And they just thought I was like Superman. I'm like the coolest person in the world. Now, here's what I didn't tell them. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> I didn't tell them that the only goal I made on my team was actually a goal against my own team. <laughs> It was the wrong goal, but it was still a goal. I didn't lie. I didn't lie. It was still a goal, and it was pretty awesome, literally, awe-inspiring. It was the wrong goal. (laughs) But I think many in the church today were were sort of like that. We're kind of gloating about the goals that we're reaching in our lives and we're striving for, but ultimately, we're not hitting the actual goals that Jesus is intending for us to hit. We're missing the mark. And so it really makes me wonder, what if, what if we're just wrong about some of our ideas about how life and faith are supposed to work? What if we're just really wrong? And really, Jesus, here in what is often considered in, in verses 1 through 16, a, a brief synopsis of the entire Sermon on the Mount, he's calling us to three initiatives that really... Um, define how life should work as a follower of Jesus and set the foundation for the rest of the sermon. So first, Jesus, number one, he calls us to embrace the values of his kingdom. He calls us to embrace the values of his kingdom. So just a few moments ago, we read a list of values. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. Those are often called the Beatitudes, And that's what they're often called. Um, And in them, we not only see deeper into the heart of who Jesus was, that's 
That's what he was preaching. But also deeper into the heart of who we are supposed to be as followers of him. And so as we read, Jesus used the word blessed, the Greek word makarios, which has a pretty broad semantic range. It could be like happy is he, fortunate is he, blessed is he. But our, di- our team decided to do something a little fun for this week. We decided to search up on social media what yeah, hashtag blessed and compare and contrast a little bit with Jesus' list and our culture's list. So here's what we discovered when we looked up hashtag blessed on social media. Top hits were new car, hashtag blessed. And a new house in this market, hashtag blessed. Amen. A new job. A new raise, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness? Come on. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. The common denominator is everything is straight up to the right. We're blessed. We're blessed here in the States. Blessedness, according to today's culture, is strictly associated with, or the implication really is that it's associated with winning, acquisition, Prestige, power, prosperity. And here's the disclaimer. Because I think sometimes when preachers preach on this sort of stuff, sometimes we don't, we fail to mention that there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with a new raise. Can I get, can I get an amen on that? There's nothing wrong with a new job or, you know, we all need, we need a car to get where we need to go. Right? There's nothing inherently evil about those things. Actually, James writes in James 1.17, he says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. But here's the, here's the other side of the pendulum. At the heart of it, there's two problems with such a prosperity-oriented view of blessedness which is what our, our, our culture really associates as. And first, it's that life is not always an ascending pattern of victory. It just isn't. It's not the experience of most people in our world. It's just not how life works. But, you know, and if you think about it, that would mean that some of us aren't blessed by God. That would be the implication. Um, Secondly, the other problem, the way bigger one for us actually, is that a a prosperity-oriented view of blessedness is, it's not Jesus' view of blessedness. Here, and let me just, let's go through it one more time. I'd love to just briefly show you what I mean. He says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who come to an acute awareness of their weaknesses. Who've, who've arrived and have acknowledged spiritual bankruptcy. It, it's almost as if Jesus, starting with this one, it's in theologians, historians, that we've sort of taken a look at why did Jesus start with poorness of spirit? And I think he did it on purpose. It's almost as if poorness of spirit is like the, the doorway into God's kingdom, acknowledging our sin, acknowledging where we've fallen short. It reminds us of the, the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. There's a picture up here of it. The church of the nativity in Bethlehem, the door. You have to stoop down. You have to bend down 
the imagery there is you have to stoop down from your pride, from wherever you are, acknowledge that you are actually not enough, and Jesus is. That's the doorway into the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn, those who are grieving, those who are in solidarity with those who are grieving. Blessed are the meek, those who, who find their, their power and humility and self-control, those whose, whose names may never receive applause. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, whose inner desire is one of integrity to do the right thing no matter the consequences. Blessed are the merciful. He says, those, in other words, those who know how to drive nicely and safely in Miami. I mean, who know how to forgive when it's undeserved. You can practice that by driving in Miami, let me tell you. Blessed are the pure in heart, he says. In other words, those who've retained the innocent disposition of a child in front of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, those who are mistreated. And he expands on that and he says, blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. The implication here, I think, is that you don't defend yourself. You know, it's interesting that when Jesus was being crucified and he's on trial in front of Pilate, he, the Bible says he was silent. Even though they were making all sorts of blasphemous, false claims against him, he was, he was silent. And as you can see, Jesus is ideas are so countercultural they're so so counterintuitive that actually there there's a group of people who studied the sermon on the mount and they say this is impossible this is not even meant to be lived out here on earth this is like you know next level when we are with the lord in his presence in heaven that's what the sermon of the mount is talking about it's not talking about daily life here some people believe that because again it's so counterintuitive, so counter like human <laughs> against what we think is a natural response. But here's the problem with that thinking that the Sermon on the Mount is not for our day today. It's really Jesus' conclusion. Look at how he, he sticks the landing of his sermon. He says this in Matthew 7, 24, at the very end of the sermon. He says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine key phrase, and puts them into practice. There's not a whole lot of room for interpretation there, is there? He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock, whoever puts them into practice. So we're at a fork in the road here. (laughs) Either we choose to embrace Jesus' values of blessedness, or we continue to miss the mark for what Jesus actually calls the real kingdom of heaven. Real faith, real Christianity. Rebecca Edlin, author of The Beatitude Through Through the Ages, a marvelous book about the Beatitudes, she summarizes it really nicely in our context, and I have it on the screen here for you to follow along. She says this, the Beatitudes contain deep truths that the world cannot see. 
They are, in fact, the path to true happiness or flourishing. In contradistinction to the world's self-destructive plunge into pleasure and material goods. That's probably about the best summary we can put it. And so first, Jesus calls us to embrace his values. But secondly, in his sermon here and, and more broadly speaking in the whole sermon, he's really calling us to live out the mission of his kingdom. To live out the mission of his kingdom. For context, I'm just going to briefly read, and you can follow along, uh, verses 13 through 15 in Matthew 5, where Jesus says this. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown down, thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house so we read through Jesus's values and now he briefly introduces two new metaphors he starts talking about salt and light and when we think about it what does salt do right that it preserves things salt hinders decay It also flavors things. We all put salt in our food. What does light do? Light shines a path forward. It removes darkness. So the implication that Jesus is getting at here is Christians, we're the salt of the earth. We're the ones who are supposed to preserve society and culture. We're supposed to bring peace, unity, and love. Hinder its decay. The presence of Christians in society should change it for the better. Christians are the light of the world. We're to shine a path. We're to, our deeds, the way that we live our lives ought to show people who Jesus is and point to him. But when I think about saltiness or the lack of it, I, I think about my cooking at home. And so I grew up in a home, uh, my mom would, would not cook with salt, barely at all. And, um, and I just, I got used to it. My, my taste buds just got used to it. So whenever I go eat somewhere and it's, norm, it's salted to a normal degree, it's always a little bit too salty for me. But anyways, why am I bringing this up? Here's why. I'm famously known in my house and from, from you know, like our immediate uh, vicinity and friends, they all know us for our Marrero rice. Marrero rice. And that is because to make the rice that we make at home, you add, here's the secret recipe, no salt and no oil. And the, the end result is a deliciously bland and gooey rice. We love it. Most people aren't as spiritual as we are, though. Um, you know, there's, but my mom, my mother-in-law will come over and she'll say something like this. She'll say, Oh my goodness, let me make the rice. Your rice has no flavor. It has no distinction. (laughs) Tastes like nothing. And so on that note, kind of seeing the imagery of lack of salt, here's a big wake-up call that Jesus is calling Christians, not just 2,000 years ago, but today, everyone who's reading his Sermon on the Mount, have we Christians in the U.S., have we lost our saltiness? Are we bland? Have we lost our distinction? Have we lost our flavor? Is there no difference in the mix of society with our presence? 
And for example, is the way that we approach the pandemic and converse about it any different than those who don't profess the name of Jesus? Is the way that we approach politics and people of a different, a differing opinions different than those who don't profess Jesus? Is the way that we approach singleness or, or marriage or the way that we, we manage our, our money different than those who don't profess Jesus? And so really what Jesus is, is getting at in this, in this metaphor, he's he lovingly challenging us with a call to mission. Christian, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But here's where I find Jesus' salt metaphor a little bit interesting because even though I, maybe I don't prefer salt in my food, here's what I do know about salt. <clears throat> Excuse me. Salt doesn't literally lose its saltiness, does it? It, it actually, te- it technically doesn't. The only way that salt loses its influence is it, if it's mixed in with impurities, enough impurities in the mix that it becomes indistinguishable from those impurities. So while there's salt in the mix of whatever you're making, it's useless. It's not affecting anything. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's pointing to the reality of acquiescence, of giving in, not being intentional about the way that we live our life, so much so that our presence in the mix of culture is just, it's just useless. And so first Jesus is calling us in the first 16 verses here in the Sermon on the Mount to embrace his values, to live out his mission, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. But lastly, Jesus is calling us to strive for the goal, the goals of his kingdom, to strive for the goals of his kingdom. Look at verse 16, finally, where Jesus says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. So in this, in this last verse, Jesus, he's making a big claim here. I mean, this is, this is the end game. This is the point of it all, he's saying, that others may see your good deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven and you glorify your Father in heaven to bring glory to the one who deserves it. Oh, in other words, our goal should be to point to Jesus in every decision, in every action that we take, in everything that we consume, in everything that we give, pointing to Jesus. <clears throat> now, there really isn't a better time to talk about goals than in the new year, is there? It's so baked into our culture. We either subconsciously make some new initiatives in our mind or we write them down. But here's the fun thing that I, I did a little bit of research and I found a study back from eight, 2018 that uh, I think it surveyed about 1,200 people. And they found that out of these 1,200 people, only 16% of those who made goals, stuck to some of them. Only 8% of people stuck to most, and only 4% of people stuck to all of the goals that they made for New Year's. Talk about a a bleak statistic, only 4% really sticking with their goals. I think it really really comes to show a point that it's, it's hard to remain disciplined in the goals that we make to strive for. Sometimes it's, it's so easy to not be intentional. It's so easy to let things just sit in the background of our lives. 
And so what if, church, what if, what if this year we committed to not letting our faith sit in the background of our lives? What if we would commit to practicing glorifying God in everything that we do, in every area of our lives? What if we committed to being intentional about the values that we adhere to and that we implicitly live out? Uh, so in the spirit of a new year, the question really becomes, how do we start? Where do we go from here? And I think, and I think many Many in the church would agree that we start with what Jesus says how we start. His blessed are the poor in spirit. Admitting that we've got some things wrong. We've got some of our, our values mixed up. We've got the mission mixed up. We've got our goals mixed up. On staff, we kind of hinting at this idea. We, um, we, we use a common phrase. We'll say, Hey, Pastor Jeff, you're, you're really hot today. <laughs> and no, it's not what you think it means. H-O-T. Humble, open, and teachable. <laughs> you got to be careful how you use it, right? <laughs> Humble, open, and teachable. And I think really what we try to get at there is that we, we need to have a, a posture of humility, of humility, openness, and be teachable in front of the Lord that he would move our hearts and show us where we're wrong. It's hard to perceive in your heart sometimes the things that are just sort of baked in you, the things that your environment taught you and that you're just living out on a, on a day-to-day basis. It's the Spirit of the Lord that opens your eyes. It says, hmm, that's where I'm wrong. And when you know what it is, honestly ask God to change your mind. Honestly, ask the Lord to change your mind. Paul, on this topic, he says this in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's interesting, actually, this idea of changing your mind. The, the Greek word for repentance for to repent, actually, metanoia. It actually literally means that, a, a change of mind. It's a call to repentance. Repent. Give it to the Lord. Ask him to change your mind. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, just live it. Practice, practice, practice your faith this year. Commit to being salt and light this year. Commit to shaping your life around the values that Jesus sets forth. I'd actually, I'd challenge all of us, go home and either today or this week, immerse yourself in the Beatitudes. Just read them over and over again and ask the Lord, where have I gone wrong? What do you need me to, to change? What value do you need me to work on? And don't give up just because you had a bad day. When you place your faith in him, Jesus offers forgiveness and he offers healing and he offers a way forward. So let's do this as followers of Jesus, as a community of hope, as a church. Let's commit to this this year. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we thank you Lord, that you have, um, Lord, you provide a way forward for us as we, as we 
try to practice our faith and live it out as we try to, Lord, embrace the values that you have set forth. Lord, we long for them. We long to be more like you. And it can be hard. So we just, number one, we ask for your grace. Lord, would you forgive us where we've gone wrong? Lord, but secondly, through the truth of your word and your spirit, would you change us? Would you help us to grow? Would you help us to walk in newness of life through faith in you? We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to worship with us through this last song. If you're willing and able, would you stand? I pray the Lord spoke to you this morning and you're able to leave edified and walk in the newness of his grace. But as we, as we close the service, I just I have a, a brief personal comment I'd actually like to share with you guys. As you guys know, um, Giselle is due towards the middle late of, of January for our little boy, Caleb. We're excited to meet him. And thank you, thank you for, for all the grace around that. And, um, but here's, here's why I'm bringing it up. There's some protocols in the, in the hospitals that if I, if I have COVID when little Caleb is on his way, I will not be allowed into the room. Doesn't matter if I'm asymptomatic or just the sniffles, they will not let me in as she's in labor. Um, that, would just, that would just destroy me. So, and I, I have to do everything in my power physically to make sure that that doesn't happen. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just ask for your grace this month, really. Um, I'm not gonna be in the lobby greeting. I'm gonna be in the front with a mask and if, come say hi, I'd love to say hi. I will remain six feet away. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful that I know most of you and everybody's going to understand that and just sort of help me and come alongside me and, and making sure that I'm, that I'm there for the birth of my son. So if you guys would be praying for me, I, you know, the nature of, of what we do here at the church is, is constantly around people and I don't want to stop doing that and I have to commit to my pastoral obligations and duties. But if you'd be in, in prayer for us and, uh, and, uh, and just in this season, uh, help us walk through it would be super incredibly grateful for all of you. So just wanted to let you guys know, Giselle sends her a load. She will not be here probably until late February when the, when the child is born as well because COVID would just really, again, whether it's a breakthrough case or not, would just make some really big complications uh, for uh, doctor's appointments this month and all that sort of stuff. So just thank you for your grace, for understanding, and your prayers. And we just want to love on you in this season. We have our prayer team on the my back left, your back right. If anybody needs prayer today after service, you're more than welcome to receive it. But now I'd love to just close our service with Jesus's own words from Matthew 5, 16. If you want to close your eyes and just receive this blessing in the same way, church, let your light shine before others this week this year that they may see your good deeds and they may glorify your father in heaven church god bless thanks for coming today stay safe and we'll see you next week have a blessed week